You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with y'all today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you're here as uh, we wrap up this uh, series we've been in for first uh, last two weeks, wrapping up today, called Resurrection Hope. And uh, this lately, because of this series that we've been in, I've been thinking a lot about hope. Now, let me just call this out. That is a very pastor-like thing to say, right? Like, hey, hey what have you been up to, Jake? I've just been thinking a lot about hope, you know, but... I know that's so, so weird sounding, but it's true. I actually have been thinking a lot about hope. And, and the reason why is because the biblical concept of hope is so different than our normal use of the word hope. Like, right, like in our culture and today in English language, we, we usually say the word hope when we're trying to communicate a desire, right? Something like a wish or a desire. Like my daughter, uh, if you ask her, what do you want to do today? She's going to say, well, I really want to go to Disney World. Like, that is her hope. And, we, and the reason why is because my, as a family, we went to Disney World about four years ago, and she had the time of her life. And literally since that day, four years now, four and a half, really, years later, she will, she will say, when you ask her, hey, what do you want to do? She'll say, I want to go to Disney World. That is her hope that has not waned at all. In fact, and I kid you not, I'm, I'm a pastor in church. I'm not lying. This morning on the way to, this, to the building, I'm with her, and I say, hey, Della, after our worship service, what do you want to do today? And she says, well, I want to go to Disney World. <laughs> And then I told her that I was using this as the opening illustration of our message, and she thought that was great because she's like, it's true. I really want to go to Disney World. That is her hope. But that's a very different concept than what the uh, Greek uh, word, elpis, means in Scripture. That's the word that we translate into English as hope. And this word, elpis, means a joyful and confident expectation based on something. And so like, for example, if instead of me just asking Della, what do you want to do this week? And she's saying, I want to go to Disney World. If, if Krista and I, we bought tickets to go to Disney World and we surprised Della with those tickets. One night over dinner, we just slid those tickets over to her and said, guess what we're doing this summer? She would freak out. I mean, really, she would freak out. And she would, she would jump up and down, and she would scream, and she would do her happy dance. She has a happy dance. She would do her happy dance, and then she would give hugs, and she would be full of LPs. She would be full of hope. She'd have a joyful and confident expectation of what's to come based on something. Based on what? based on the fact that we actually bought Disney World tickets. Well, friends, that's the kind of hope that we're talking about in this series. When we say resurrection hope, we're talking about a confident and joyous expectation based on something, specifically based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And here's what the expectation, the joyous 
confident expectation we can have because Jesus rose from the dead. It's the hope that one day everything is going to be all right. That one day all that is broken will be healed and everything that is wrong will be made right. Friends, that's the kind of hope that we can have. Don't you want that to be true? Don't you desire that to be true? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? Would you rather just hit replay on the last two years? (laughs) Like, oh, pandemics, death, you know, struggling economy, tornadoes, cancer, whatever the last two years held for you. Uh, um, Yeah, I don't think any of us just want to hit replay on that, right? I think we'd much rather things to get better. We'd much rather things be better than how they've been in the past. Well, friends, not only do we, can we hope for that, can we have that desire, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can have the confident and joyous expectation that that is going to be the reality for all of those who are in Christ. And friends, that's what I want to talk about this morning. As we wrap up this series, what we're going to do is I'm going to try to help us understand why. Why is that our hope? Why is that the hope that we have because of Jesus' resurrection? And then I'm going to get into what the nature of that hope is. Like, what does it really include? And then we'll talk about how to live in light of the hope. So that's where we're going. Why is this our hope? What is it? And how to live in light of it. So let's begin with the question, okay, why, is the, why does the resurrection of Jesus give us the confident hope? The confident hope that all that's broken will be healed. Why? Well, because, to use the language of the Apostle Paul, it's because the resurrected Christ is the first fruits of the restoration and the renewal of the world. See, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29, it says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. That Christ has been indeed raised from the dead, and the first fruits, there's a word, of those who have fallen asleep or to biblical language for those who have died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now this word, uh, first fruits, is is a key word, okay? So how Paul uses it here, he's using an agrarian word uh, metaphorically that speaks of the first installment of what is to come. So first fruits, literally, like in an agrarian culture, they would use this word to talk about the first gathered sheaves or the first fruit of a harvest. And they would, they would say the first fruits were the proof and the indication of what, I, of what is to come. So here Paul is saying Jesus is the first installment of something. Of what? Of the restoration of all things. That through Christ, all things will be made new. That in Christ, all will be made alive. Pastor and author Tim Keller, in his book, Hope in Times of Fear, captures this this way. And if you were with us in week one of this series, I used this quote then. I'm using it again because I love it. So deal with it. So here's what he says. He says, the resurrection was a miraculous display of God's power. But we should not see it as a suspension of the natural order of the world. Rather, it was the beginning, think first fruits, the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world, the world as God intended it to be. 
But since humanity turned away from God, both the human and natural worlds have been dominated by sin and evil, disorder and disease, suffering and death. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he inaugurated the first stage of his restoring work that will result in the healing of all things. See, friends, why can we have hope that all that is broken will be healed? It's because of Jesus' resurrection. For his resurrection is the indication and proof of the harvest that is to come. It'd be like, it's like when we show Della the Disney World tickets, she has a reason to have the hope of what is to come. When Jesus rose again, when he walked out of the tomb, that is the proof, the indication of a, that gives us a joyful and confident hope of what is to come, that the world will be restored and all that's broken will be healed. Now, um, real quick, let me just say that uh, last Sunday, the whole message was basically around the, the, why it's very reasonable to believe that Jesus did uh, rise again, that he was resurrected. And so because that's what I talked on last week, I'm not going to dive into that topic today. But if you're uh, here and you're not sure if you actually believe that or you don't believe that or if this is the first time with us and you're undecided about if Jesus really did die and rise again, I, I, I just want to say two things to you real quick, okay? The first thing is uh, you are welcome here. We are so glad you're here, and your questions and your doubts are welcome here, okay? And so you come. You don't feel like you have to hide that. You don't, feel, don't be afraid that you're going to offend us if you're asking questions or anything like that. Like we actually would really appreciate that because one of our values as a church is authenticity. We want you to be who you are, and so we want you to voice that. That's really a big deal to us. So please know you're welcome here. But the second thing I want you to know is we would really love to help you explore if Jesus really rose again. Because um, that belief in Jesus' resurrection, it's not just one belief among many for Christians. It actually is the core belief, the foundational belief of our entire faith. This is why Paul says in this passage I just read that if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In context, if you keep reading that passage, you'll see that he says that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then our faith is meaningless. Like it's, it's a really the core foundation of our faith. And so we would really encourage you, if you're undecided or you don't know, to explore that. And I think what you'll find is that it's very reasonable to believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. We would love to talk to you about that. And when I say talk, I don't mean argue. When I say talk, I mean, we'd love to share the reason why we personally believe that with you and engage with you on that, okay? So I'm not going to get into all of the evidence, but I do want to encourage you to explore. Because listen, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then it means that your sins have been paid for. You can be reconciled to God. You can spend eternity with him. You have given eternal life. And it means that you can have the joyous and confident hope the expectation that one day all that is broken will be healed for all who are in Christ will be made alive. But what exactly does that mean? All in Christ will be made alive. All that's broken will be healed. Or to put it another way, what is the nature of resurrection 
hope. Well, uh, the best way I know how to capture that is to say it's a unique hope because it's a full hope. For the hope of the resurrection goes way beyond the idea of going to heaven when you die. See, uh, what makes the Christian faith, the resurrection hope, such a unique hope is that uh, every religion has offered people a hope for life after death. But most of them teach that our souls will live on in paradise or our spiritual essence will pass into the all soul or that we will continue in some other mode of spiritual existence. So while the physical world ends in oblivion, we will continue on in a spiritual sense after we die. And in contrast to that, uh, our secular culture teaches that both individuals and this world will end in ultimate oblivion. That in the end, we go to nothing for when we die, that is it. And eventually, the world itself will die, and then nothing will be, and everything that has happened will be utterly forgotten. But resurrection hope, Christianity, is, differs from both of those views. See, it, it doesn't uh, merely offer the prospect of a spiritual future in another realm in heaven. It promises something much better. A future physical resurrection in which the material world will also be renewed. And the resurrected Jesus is the first first fruits of that future. To quote Tim Keller again, because I love him, and so many um, many of y'all give me a hard time about quoting him, but he's he's really smart. (laughs) He says this, No other faith says not only that we will be resurrected as individuals, but that the material world will be renewed as well. And so human society is destined not for ultimate oblivion, but for the longed-for goal of perfect prosperity and love and justice and peace. And this hope is not wishful thinking, but is grounded in history, the sign of which is the risen Christ. See, after Jesus rose from the grave, he came to his disciples and he said, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Like, I'm not just some spirit. I'm not some ghost. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? (laughs) And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. So you notice how this passage in the Gospel of Luke stresses Jesus' physical resurrection. Why does it stress that? Well, it's because Jesus' physical resurrection reveals that our future will not simply be a spiritual existence, but a renewed physical resurrected existence here. And that's the unique hope of Christianity because that is a full hope. Body and soul, immaterial and material, all resurrected in Christ.
See, uh, Jesus' resurrection doesn't foreshadow a, a spiritual, mysterious, future existence. Instead, it indicates the future that we all desire. It promises the world and life that we've all longed for but never had. A perfect future here where all that's broken is healed and all that's wrong is made right. That's very different, friends, than the popular view of the Christian afterlife that most people have, isn't it? See, uh, <laughs> this is not floating on the clouds and strumming harps. And it's not an eternal worship service in the sky. I love uh, this quote by John Eldridge in his book, Journey of Desire. He, he says this, he says, Most Christians have settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky. One great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And our heart sinks. No offense, Isaiah, but like this worship is awesome, but forever and ever, it feels like, oh, really? He goes on, he says, forever and ever, that's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh and we feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. Like, that's what I'm supposed to want, I guess. But friends, you don't need to sigh. You don't need to feel bad about yourself not being spiritual enough. That doesn't appeal to you. It's not supposed to. For that's not the future Jesus' resurrection inaugurated. And it's not what Scripture tells us will happen. See, in Revelation 21, we are given insight into the future that Jesus' resurrection initiated and that one day will be fully realized for all who are in Christ. And here's what we're told it will be like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So here in this passage, the Apostle John is given a vision of the end of history, and what he sees is God making all things new, a new heaven and a new earth, what he sees is, listen, God resurrecting creation. So just, just as Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected to a new physical life, so here the promise is that the earth too will pass away. That's what it says. But it will be resurrected, physically restored and renewed. For the future Jesus initiated through his resurrection is a resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people living with the resurrected Jesus. And that's awesome, isn't it? Like that's, I love that. But listen, <laughs> allow me to press this a little bit further because what I have found in talking about this is that we have a remarkable uh, way of over-spiritualizing this concept of like the new earth. Like what is that? So, so let me give you this example. If I told you that I bought you a new car, would you say, wow, that sounds interesting, 
uh, like, what is this thing, a new car? Like, is it, is, uh, like, I can't wait to maybe see it one day. I just can't even imagine what it could be like. <laughs> no, you would not do that. Why? You would just think of your car, but better, right? Because when, when, when God says he's making a new earth, that the old has passed away and that the new is coming, a resurrected earth, he's talking about an earth. It, 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 you don't have... <laughs> Like, like the word new is the adjective. The, the, the earth is the noun. Like the, what, uh, new earth is primarily an earth, just like a new body is primarily a body, and a new car is primarily a car, right? So like when you think about what is this, think about earth. But think about earth that's not broken. Think about earth that's not full of the devastation marks of sin, think of the earth that you've always longed for that's healed and set right. This is what Jesus' resurrection points to, for it is the first fruits of what is to come. It's awesome. Because this is the uh, confident and joy-filled expectation that you can have because of Christ's resurrection. You can have LPs. You can have resurrection hope. Now, um, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, it, it helps us capture this even more. Like in Isaiah chapter 11, listen to the description that we're given of the future restored world when it comes in full, when, God, when God's kingdom fully comes. This is what we're told it will be like. It says, the wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. And the cow will feed with the bear, and the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest, and they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, this is, this is poetic language, okay? It, it, it's, it's, uh, but the message is completely clear. Like, do you see it? That in the future, Jesus inaugurated through his resurrection. Nature itself will be healed. That's what it's saying, that the violence and bloodshed of nature will be over. Friends, this is a picture of Eden restored. It's a world where we will experience perfect harmony, under God's loving and wise rule, that there will be no disharmony between the body and the soul or between our feelings and our conscience, no conflict between individuals or the genders where our bodies never become disharmonious within itself, where there will be nothing like the disintegration of the body through disease and aging and death, where there will be perfect harmony and shalom between humanity and the animals and the environment, no broken relationships of any kind. It will be a world where justice dwells, in which every tear will be wiped away, in which death and destruction are banished forever, in which the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, a future where all is made right and all that is broken is healed. Friends, this is the hope that is offered to us because of Jesus. 
because of his death and his resurrection, no more pandemics, no more cancer, or war, or tornadoes, or hatred, or racism, or injustice, or loneliness, or death. Lives will be marked by peace and love and joy, and we will experience healthy relationships and just societies and a flourishing planet where everything will be as it should be. See, this is our unique hope because it is a full hope, and it is our hope because of Jesus, for he is the hope of the world. pastor and author, uh, Randy Alcorn, puts it this way. The gospel is far greater than most of us imagine. It isn't just good news for us. It's good news for animals and plants and stars and planets. It's good news for the sky above and the earth below. Friends, this is the joyous and confident expectation, the L peace that we can have because of Jesus' resurrection. This is what he initiated when he walked out of the tomb, and that's what will eventually come to pass, for the risen Jesus is the first fruits of the harvest to come. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, me too. See, I was tempted to just end the message right there. It's like, man, that's awesome. Let's go. But I, I, before we do that, and I am wrapping up, but I, I just want to say, like, I think it's worth Asking one more question, which is the question, how do we live in light of that? How should the resurrection hope impact the way that we live? Because listen, uh, if Krista and I gave Della <laughs> Disney World tickets, I'll tell you two things would happen. Like she wouldn't just like be unfazed and then like all of a sudden go to Disney World two months later and like never talked about it, never thought about it, anything like that. No, no, no. we gave her the Disney World tickets. She, she would all, without a doubt, begin planning out our days and she'd begin picking out what rides we're going to go on and where we're going to eat. And she would start picking out what clothes she was going to wear and she would start to pack because she does that. And really, she would do that. And, and I guarantee you, she would tell everyone she knows. And she would tell a lot of people she doesn't know. Hey, I'm going to Disney World. She, that's what she would do. Like, in short, if Della had the confident, joyous expectation what was to come, coming to Disney World, based on the Disney World tickets, she would be moved to be full of joy and she'd be moved to act. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter tells us this. And he's speaking of this hope of the resurrection, but he doesn't call it a future hope. He calls it something else. Look what he says. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what? A living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, why do you think he calls it a living hope? Because it's not just a future hope. It's for now. The living hope is a hope that has power and produces change in your life now. See, if the death and resurrection of Jesus only secured my individual forgiveness of sins and it only opened the way for me to go to heaven when I die through, when I die through like, faith in him, then that would be, <laughs> that would be really good. I mean, it's certainly better than the opposite. But, incredibly, 
it means so much more than that. For the purpose of Jesus' resurrection was to renew the whole world and to restore people to himself. And knowing that, friends, should make a really big difference in how we live. For if we think that there's nothing after this life, or if we think that everything is going to burn, or we think that we will spend eternity in an immaterial existence, then we will not be moved to partner with God in his renewing and restoring work now. But if we live in light of our living hope, that God is working to restore all things, then that will impact how we live now, and it will move us out of joy to act, to partner with him. N.T. Wright has put it this, uh, this way. He says, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters. Now, just stop there. Do you see that? The message of the resurrection is that this world matters. That the injustice and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing and justice and love have won. See, if Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it is only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice and violence and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory of Jesus over them all. Resurrection hope, friends, is to fill us with joy and confidence, and it's also meant to move us to partner with God in his restoring work, knowing that he is working to set everything right and heal all that is broken. And so in light of that, we are to work and plan with all the energy of God as his co-laborers in that endeavor. And so let us pursue justice now in light of our living hope. And let us pursue serving others as Jesus did in light of our living hope. Let us draw near and care for the widow and the orphan, the foster child, the refugee, those on the margin. Let us come to their side and love them and serve them as Jesus did in light of our living hope, as co-laborers, as partners with God in the restoration and the renewal of this world, for that is what he is doing and bringing about, and he's invited us into that. So in light of our living hope, let us tell others about the unique and full hope that is found in Jesus so they too can be given this hope. So they too can experience the new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, if this is our hope, then let's tell everybody we know. So it can be their hope as well. 
This is our hope. Let's even tell people we don't know. So this could be their hope as well, that we would be filled with joy, that we would partner with God in the restoration, and that we would invite others into it as well. Friends, this is too good to keep to ourselves. Let it move us to experience joy, and let it move us to act, to partner with God and what he is doing. Put it our way as a church. Let us commit to practice the way of Jesus so that by his power, Austin will become more like heaven. Y'all with me in that? Does that sound good? As this is our confident, joyous expectation of what is to come based on the resurrection of Jesus. We have resurrection hope. To wrap up, we're going to uh, take communion together. And so I want to invite the servers to go and get the elements, begin passing those out. And as uh, they do that, there's just one more thing that I want us to consider, okay? And that is... um, I just want to remind you, really, by the practice of taking communion together, that uh, this incredible hope that we have came at a great cost. It came at a great cost. For Jesus, in order to inaugurate the healing of the world, first had to have his body broken and his blood spilled. As Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and it's by his wounds we are healed. See, in order to set the world right, Jesus willingly laid down his life in our place, dying for us as the payment for our sins, that he died so that we could live, that he died so that by his wounds this broken world and our broken hearts could be healed. So as we take communion together in a minute, let us give thanks for his great love. See, we have hope because he loved us to this degree. Because he died and rose again, we have LPs. We have confident and joyous hope. And so I just want to invite you to take a minute and reflect on what he did for you in order to secure that hope. And Once everyone has received the elements, I'll lead us in a, taking those together. So right now, just pray. Think, reflect on this. Talk to him about it. Say thanks. Or if you don't believe it, maybe ask him, God, if you're there, can you help me know if this really is the hope that I have? As Shay's friend in Tunisia said, I don't know if I believe that yet, but I sure hope it's true. Ask him to let you know it is. Pray right now. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm-hmm.